listening to the Rainmaking Podcast. Hosted by high-stakes headhunter, author, and professional speaker, Scott Love. Hi, this is Scott Love, and thanks for joining me on the Rainmaking Podcast. Our guest today is a special guest because, as you know, it's an interesting time. And I'm trying to give my listeners to this podcast as many resources to help you manage the crisis effectively in your rainmaking and client development efforts. And today we're interviewing Dr. Jack Singer. He holds a PhD in industrial and organizational psychology and also a postdoctorate in clinical sports psychology. He has combined careers as both a licensed psychologist and a professional speaker and success acceleration coach. During his 37-year career as a sports psychologist, Dr. Singer has worked with Olympic gold medal winners, world champions, and professional athletes. And in his speaking and consulting career, he teaches all of his audiences the exact same blueprint for developing the mindset of a champion. For the past 33 years, he's consulted with and spoken to many Fortune 1000 companies and professional HR and sales associations from Miami to Malaysia. He's taught on the faculties of six universities, including the Air Force Academy, and he's authored four books and more than 180 articles for a variety of journals and magazines. Dr. Jack appears frequently on Fox Sports, ESPN, CNN, MSNBC, and radio talk shows throughout the U.S. and Canada. I know you're going to get some great ideas from today's show. Hi, this is Scott Love, and thanks for joining me on the Rainmaking Podcast. Today, our guest is Dr. Jack Singer, a sports psychologist. And today, we're talking about how we can remain resilient and thrive during challenging times. Jack, thanks for joining me on the show today. Scott, it's really a pleasure. I've been looking forward to this for some time because I've heard your other interviews and you're fabulous. Well, thank you. Excited to be here. Well, it's because I got cool people like you on the show. You know, I'm just the host. I'm not the show. But and just for people listening for context, we're talking about thriving during the pandemic. It's a topic that we've had a lot of our shows focus on just because it's real and it's, it's peculiar and it's weird. And I know the psychology of performance it relates directly to the work that we take part in as rainmakers. And so, Jack, I'm really excited to have you here today. Tell us a little bit about yourself. When you started your career, what did you start as and how did you end up to where you are today as a sports psychologist? Well, I actually started as an industrial and organizational psychologist. That's what my original doctorate is in, wanting to work uh, in industry and to uh, help people in all phases of their work lives to make their lives better. I had been working in the summertime in sweatshops and things like that to earn money for college. And I said to myself, is there anyone looking out for these people? I, don't, I only have to do it for the summer. So I discovered there's a field of study called industrial organizational psychology. So my original PhD is in that field, Scott, mm-hmm. and I worked consulting with companies for many years. It was years later when I discovered that my son had, had natural athletic ability, unlike me, but I decided I need to do everything I can to help him to maximize whatever he does in his life. So I went back to school and took a postdoctorate in what we call clinical and sports psychology. And ever since then, I've been working with elite athletes, including three Olympic gold medal winners and elite athletes in every sport you can imagine. Then in 2008, I had an epiphany and realized that there are many people in many career fields. For example, one of my daughters is an attorney. And so I started thinking attorneys are like elite athletes, most of whom never live up to their potential because they're worried about the competition or they put too much pressure on themselves, et cetera. 
why can't I teach the same blueprint for success to people in other occupations that I've taught to elite athletes? So in 2008, I started working with attorneys, doctors, HR professionals, you name it, to teach them all the same blueprint for performance success. And that's fantastic. And that's interesting in itself because in any sort of a competitive business where you've got other people that are chasing after the same clients, you've got to perform on a high level, on, a, on an Olympic athlete level of performance. Is that something you'd agree with, Jack, from your experience? Oh, absolutely. Everybody, you know, you take my daughter, for example, who's the attorney, calls me out complaining all the time about the pressure. And I try to talk to her. Her office manager says, read your father's books. She refuses to read them. <laughs> uh, you know, you, she has to hear it from someone else. I said, then go see another psychologist who'll tell you the same thing. But all of your anxiety is self-produced. And that's some of what I want to talk about today, Scott. Right, right. And I know with this crisis, a lot of people are feeling the anxiety and kind of what you just said and what I know about your thoughts and what you believe that you talk about events and situations such as the COVID crisis never being the cause of our business problems. What, what do you mean by that exactly, Jack? Well, a lot of people think that situations or events in their lives, Scott, actually cause their emotions like anxiety or anger or frustration or happiness right. or any emotion. But it's not true. We know that situations that take place are neutral. What causes our emotions, whether they're positive or negative, is the conversation we have inside our head about that situation. Right. And the good news is we can learn to identify that conversation and control it or adapt it or change it if we have to. So if somebody says to him or herself, I don't know when I'm going to be able to get back to my workplace, I can't keep working from home, that's causing the anxiety, not the fact that they're working from home. Because that same person can say, I know this is only a matter of time, I've learned some new skills working from home, and this is going to work for me in the future. That person now has the same scenario, but a different response. Right. You know, it's interesting. I actually did a presentation just yesterday for a group, and I'm not a professional psychologist, but I've read a lot of books on performance psychology. And as somebody that works in an industry that's highly competitive, I agree with you that we control the emotions. We choose to feel a certain way. And I always give the example, I say, because a lot of people in the recruiting business, there's a lot of highs, there's a lot of lows. And they talk about that emotional roller coaster. And I have a mantra where I choose not to let external circumstances govern how I feel. Exactly. I choose not to let external circumstances govern how I feel. How do you think people can get to that point where they can see that, where they can see that it's not the crisis that's causing the emotions? How do you think they can bridge that gap, so to speak? Well, the first thing they have to do is recognize the emotion. So one of the steps I teach people when I'm either coaching them or working as a consultant or in one of my speeches is I tell them that they have to recognize when they have the emotion. So the first step is notice what your emotion is right now if you're not feeling right. Is it anxiety? Is it frustration? Is it anger? Is it impatience? And then once you recognize it, the next step is to ask yourself, what was I just saying to myself before I noticed how I was feeling? That's the key point, Scott, because once you can identify the conversation that's going on in your head, that's the biggest step toward learning. That's not the conversation I want to continue to have, and right. how can I change it? And a little bit later in the discussion, I'll actually do it in three bullet points so that everyone will really understand it clearly. Or okay. you can do it now if you like, whatever you Yeah, want. let's talk about that. That's fine. Let's kind of go down that path. Okay. So step number one is recognize what I call toxic thinking. And in my books, I talk about toxic thinking, 
thinking that's going to lead to some kind of negative emotion. Thoughts that start with what if, for example, I call that the two worst words ever put together in the English language because they're always <laughs> followed by bracing yourself for something when you say what if. The toxic thinking are negative thoughts. I should have done this. I shouldn't have done that. What if this person doesn't like me? Uh, what if I fail at my quota? These are types of toxic thoughts. Once we recognize those thoughts, we can then learn to change them. So step one is to realize that you're having a negative emotion. Step two is to actually write down what were the thoughts you recall having right before that emotion. And then the next few steps involve doing something about the toxic thought. So the first thing I have people do, Scott, is to challenge your toxic thought with the following kinds of questions. Do I have any evidence to suggest that my anxiety uh, producing thoughts are accurate? Could it be that I'm just being emotional because I'm tired and worked up? What is the probability of what I'm afraid of is actually going to happen? Could I be exaggerating this in my mind? You know, a lot of people do what we call catastrophizing. They make up a story about what the worst thing that could possibly happen now. I'll never find another client. I'll never be able to recruit another client. That's catastrophizing. When we get these kinds of toxic thoughts, if they're not challenged, Scott, it turns on the old famous fight or flight nervous system in our body which makes us brace for some kind of an emergency. And then we can't think clearly. We get rattled. We're nervous because that's what the brain is supposed to do if you're in an emergency. Right. And toxic thoughts lead to turning on the fight or flight nervous system. So let me go over these again. And everything you said is brilliant. And I'm really excited about learning this and trying this out. The next time I have that, uh, you know, the world's falling apart fear <laughs> that... that Seems to be a little bit more common nowadays. So step one, recognize that toxic thinking. And step two, think about right before that we felt that emotion, what we were thinking. And then step three, to challenge it. Is that kind of an accurate summary of what you mentioned? Yes. And then there's a, there's a more advanced one that has five or six steps that I will provide for all of your listeners if they email me. We'll talk about that later. But one of those steps is... You need to stop the thought that in its tracks. So how do you do that? And the, I'll give you an easy method that, believe it or not, football players told me it worked better than anything they ever did. And this is the most simple thing you've ever heard of, but the research behind it is fabulous. You recognize that you're thinking toxic thoughts. You snap a rubber band on your wrist. I suggest the kind that come in the mail, the fat ones that sit loosely on your wrist. Mm -hmm. Snap it as many times as you have to to stop the thought. And then you do some breathing exercises in through your nose to the count of four, hold it for four seconds, and then a big exhale out through your mouth like you're blowing through a straw to the count of seven. And as you're doing that, you're changing the thought to something more rational, like this is an exaggeration. I don't have any evidence to support this. I am really okay. So the last step that you mentioned is really reframing the thoughts into something more positive and nutritious instead of toxic. Right. This is fantastic. I like the way that you're able to kind of parse it out into step-by-step -step systems that people can replicate. And one thing, and I'll just say this, this is something I learned in my journey of recruiting. It happened right after 9-11, 2002, January. I set some pretty ambitious goals. I made some changes and that was one of the best years I ever had. And at the end of that year, I started my training business, which I'd actually sold several years ago. And a lot of what I would teach people was this, what you're talking about, was that the performance on the field 
that an athlete experiences is directly impacted by how that athlete manages his or her emotions. And it's the emotional state that affects performance. And it's the exact same thing in business. It's the emotional state, how people manage their emotions. And I love, Jack, what you're giving us, that these are the tactical action steps. Step one, step two, turn, pivot, push, jump, you know, and then in our minds. What do you think about people processing this on paper or by talking to themselves? What, what do you recommend? All your questions are great. This is a good one. What I suggest that people do is they write it down. And in my book, which, by the way, I'm going to provide a book at a, at a marked discount for your listeners. Oh, great. But well, in my you. book, and I have an e-version of it, uh, there's actually a template, blank template they can use to start writing these things down. The first thing it asks for is what is the emotion you're feeling? What number is that from zero to 10? The next thing it asks for is what kinds of thoughts you recall having. Just write them down. Once you write them down and you're actually looking at them, and if you say them out loud, you're incorporating more than one sense, you will start recognizing your negative thinking patterns that have been unfortunate habits that you've had forever. That's when you start breaking these down. So once you've written several of these episodes down over a period of, say, a week or so, you'll be able to do this automatically inside your mind very quickly. Think about an athlete playing a sport. They don't have time to write things down. So they have to learn how to do this ahead of time so that they can catch themselves immediately. An example, using athletics, whatever the sport may be, if you turn on that fight or flight nervous system unconsciously by thinking negative thoughts like, oh, the person beat me and now the coach is going to be mad at me or whatever, you're going to start slowing down and noticing that first because if your body's in an emergency mode thinking there's an emergency, it's going to slow down your, your reactions. It wants to prepare you to defend yourself. So once you recognize you're slowing down, that's the clue. I must have been doing some toxic thinking. I need to change that immediately. And what do you mean? Can you explain what you mean by toxic versus healthy self-talk? Yeah, toxic thinking is anything that's going to set off uh, the emergency nervous system that thinks you're in trouble. So thoughts that start with what if I should have done this or I shouldn't have done that. Mind reading, somebody doesn't like me. This person is my boss is going to be angry at me when you don't have any evidence about that. Uh, deciding, overgeneralizing from something, I made a mistake and now maybe I'm going to be a failure. You know, that brings up another issue that a lot of people have, no matter what their profession. And I talk about this in a lot of my speaking engagements, and that's the imposter fear. So many people walk around with this unconscious fear that they have that dictates toxic thinking. And the fear, to boil it down, Scott, is Uh, You know, if they only knew how little I really know about this, then I would be very embarrassed. And it's only a matter of time before they find this out. You know, my partners, my family, my spouse, uh, my boss, they really think I'm great. I don't think I'm great. So I help people identify that imposter fear immediately. And that's the major type of toxic thinking that it leads to. And we want to get that out of their system completely. Where do you think that comes from, that imposter fear that people have? It comes from childhood and adolescence. Part of it is role modeling a parent who perhaps had low Mm self-esteem, didn't feel good about him or herself, or unfortunate messages by well-meaning parents like fly under the radar, don't make waves, uh, don't ever confront anybody. You know, if somebody wants you to do something, always do it, don't say no. I mean, these are some of the messages that we grow up with that cause us to have what they're called iceberg beliefs. The reason we call them iceberg beliefs is because only a little of it is above the surface in our conscious awareness. Most of it is in our subconscious, 
until we identify that or someone identifies it for us. I need to be perfect or I'm a failure is another example of that. I can't change my DNA. Uh, my parents are like this, so I'm going to be like this. Mm-hmm. You know, in my book, and I, especially for attorneys and people who work in high-powered f- fields like that, I talk about type A personalities and what traits there are there that are okay, but other traits are not okay and how to change them. So all of these things meld together and become toxic flavored thoughts. Right. Let me ask you this, Jack, related to the crisis today, what are some of the more common toxic thoughts that your clients have expressed they're feeling right now to you? What are some of the more common ones? What if this never ends, comes back and keeps biting us? I can never go to my office. How do I add talent to my team? I, the recruiting right now is so confusing. I don't know how to do that. And it's all virtual. I can't meet with anybody. So I, maybe I'll never be able to do this. What if my business fails? I can't pay my rent. And I'm not going to be able to continue. I can't stomach hanging around my spouse 24-7 or my kids who are a pain in the neck and I'm having to homeschool them now. You know, it goes on and on and on instead of the following kinds of nutritious thoughts. Mm. I have learned how to do virtual training I never knew before. And this is a possibility that I can see some possibilities with this down the road, even when the pandemic is over. My children are learning some skills that they can use when they get to college, because in college, they may take a lot of virtual lectures and things like that. And they're learning how to do that at an early age and having fun with it in a way. I am learning ways to adapt and be flexible and resilient, which I never thought I'd have. Um, I'm getting closer to my family than I ever was. I was spending so much time at work. I wasn't doing anything with my family. This is an opportunity for me to start enjoying my family. I can learn how to relax now because I'm not in demand as much as I was when I was going into the office. Maybe this is a skill that will save my life. Right, right. I always believe that because fortunately for me, I studied adversity and resilience at a young age. I went to a college that really, it, it, it showed you how to thrive in a high stress environment and how to manage your emotions and all that. And I've learned that anytime there's a crisis, there's always some sort of surprising blessing that you have to look for. Sometimes you have to look really hard. And for our company, it was our change of strategy. We had to change something. We had to change our strategy. And wow, maybe this will be an even bigger payday than it was before. Who knows? You know, kind of holding out that there's got to be some, you know, there's a big pile of manure plopped in front of us. I know there's a pony around here somewhere, Jack. You know, I know there's going to be some sort of blessing. You have the right attitude, Scott. Unfortunately, 95% of people don't, but they can learn to develop that attitude. This is a changeable skill. With respect to what you just said, I can't tell you how many countless times I've had people come to me for coaching because they were laid off from their job or they they were fired and they think the world is coming to an end. And I would say to them in the beginning, when one door closes, another one opens that you would have never been looking for. Let's look for the opening and how many times they've said, you were right. I never believed it could happen, but absolutely, I would have never been in this other position or started my own company if I hadn't been laid off from that company. So there's always a sunrise in the distance. You just have to look for it. You're absolutely right. We might see three doors. We know that what we want is behind door number three and we walk through it and we find three more doors and we don't know what is in front of us. And that's, and that's the thing that in the stock market reflects uncertainty is always a negative and people don't like uncertainty, but the world is filled with uncertainty. 
And I like how you give people these tools, these action steps to manage the emotions where they can really maintain that sense or at least that feeling of some sort of control. What are some of the success stories you've seen? And you don't have to mention names, of course, but what are some of the successes and the real achievements that people have experienced during the crisis as a result of your coaching with them? Uh, I've had people who thought, uh, you know, the sky is falling and they don't know what they're going to do. And they're starting to panic about money and things of that nature. And once I teach them how to take charge of their thinking, then their eyes are more open to the possibilities. So I've had, I've had a, for example, let's talk about my daughter, the type A attorney. Mm -hmm. I've been talking to her for years about she has to relax and not be so intense and not worry so much about things. She has the intelligence and the skill set and the ability to do whatever she needs to do without having to put so much pressure on herself. This COVID problem has forced her into a situation where she's learned that she can relax. She said to me one day, Dad, you've been talking to me about this for years, and I've been rolling my eyes. He's my dad, da-da-da-da. But now I realize this is how some people actually live. I'm much more relaxed. I didn't think this was possible. I thought everyone was living the way I was living, and you were crazy telling me I could change this. So a lot of people are learning to do that. And, you know, you, there are countless athletes I've worked with who came to me, you know, sort of as a last resort. And once we talked about these things, it, it opened their eyes and they became magnificent. I'll give you a quick example, if that's okay. Absolutely. Okay. A high school young man comes to me when I was living in California and tells me his father and grandfather both played football at Notre Dame, but he's undersized. He's 5'10", about 210 pounds. He's a middle linebacker. and Notre Dame uh, is not offering him a scholarship, but that's his whole dream. He just wanted to play at Notre Dame. Ivy League schools, because he's very smart, are coming after him and offering him all kinds of grants and things. And they're telling him, you'll never play a minute if you go to Notre Dame. And I'm talking to him about not accepting the toxic thoughts of other people. Mm. Have your own dream and start visualizing success. And one of the things I do with all of my clients, whether they're athletes or not, is I teach them self-hypnosis. I make recordings for them. I want you to visualize success because it can happen and you can make it happen by convincing your subconscious mind. So I worked with them on visualizing success. Ultimately, against his parents' wishes, he accepted a preferred walk-on role at Notre Dame, no scholarship where he could have had a you know, pretty much taken care of at an Ivy League school, and he goes there against their better wishes. By the time he's a senior at Notre Dame, it's another Rudy story. He's the <laughs> captain of the defense, he's wow. the starting middle linebacker, and he's the most valuable player during his senior year on full scholarship. That's fantastic, Jack. That's a great story. And now he's, in, he's a professional in working in uh, the insurance career field, and I had sort of forgotten about him until... Uh, I get this random note a couple of months ago saying, Dr. Jack, if it wasn't for you, I don't know what I would have been doing, but you showed me how I can change anything myself. And that's why now I'm in a, a successful in the insurance business. So thank you so much. That's great, Jack. I love that story. And I think you're the kind of person that every professional needs to have. We need to have you in our back pocket. We need to have your thoughts and your ideas as solutions for the things that we're feeling. Because performance on the field, in the boardroom, or the Zoom, on the Zoom meeting right now is directly related to how we manage our emotions and the psychology of high performance. Right. So tell us a little about the offerings that you have. If somebody wants to talk to you about speaking at their law firm retreat or doing a virtual presentation for an association or maybe one-on-one, -on -one, what are some of the things that you do, Jack? 
Okay, by the way, I call the retreat RE and then TREAT is in capitals because when I do a retreat, I try to make it fun for everyone. So it's mm-hmm. a learning experience, but fun. You know, I've been a professional speaker for 30 years. And if you don't make the audience have fun, they won't be engaged. So I try to engage people with fun exercises and things like that. So they walk away with the learning, but they had a great time learning it. That's yes, I do all of the above. I speak at conferences. Now I'm doing it virtually. I consult with firms and actually work with the firm and do confidential interviews and diagnose what's going on in the organization and design uh, remedial programs for them so they can enhance their communications or what have you. When I have the time, I do individual coaching with people, uh, confidential coaching with people. And I have a course online. It's really for financial professionals because Mm -hmm. that's a group that I've worked with very closely. So it's called Developing the Mindset of a Champion a financial services professional and the financial professionals can get 12 continued education credits for it. And I have a book that even though the book was again, written for financial advisors, everything in the book applies to everybody, Scott. The book is right. called the financial advisors, ultimate self mastery guide. And that book is $37, but I'll provide it for anyone who's interested here. If they send me an email for $15, That's um, great. the email is drjack at advising the And also a major benefit that I'll provide for your listeners is the first seven people who email me and request it, I'll actually give them a free coaching session. Oh, that's great. Any problems you want, all confidential, a free coaching session. Again, drjack at advisingtheadvisors.com. That's great. And we'll even put your email on the show notes there and any, all the other links that you have to your information Uh, Jack, I want to thank you for being on the show today. You've done a great job. You've been a great guest. We're going to have you back on here again because you've got some great ideas and some content that's going to help those that are listening. So thank you so much for being here today. Indeed, my pleasure. Thank you so much, Scott. And thanks for being uh, such a resilient person. You bet. Thank you for listening to the Rainmaking Podcast. For more information about our recruiting services for international law firms, visit our website at attorneysearchgroup.com. To inquire about having Scott speak at your next convention, conference, sales meeting, or executive retreat, visit therainmakingpodcast.com.